Hello and welcome to another episode of the A-Line Podcast. Today I sit down and speak to Louis Bronstein, who's got an exciting year ahead as he's stepping up from expert to race elite for the first time. We speak about how cake fuels all of his activities and about the time he rode 120 miles home on a BMX, as well as how he's preparing for the upcoming season. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the A-Line Podcast. This week I am sat here with Louis Bronstein. So, Louis, welcome. Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, right. So, yeah, like you said, I'm Louis Bronstein. I ride for Rota Race Team um, and been with them for about six months now. So, just done basically my first season with them. Brilliant. Oh, that's that's great. Um, before we get stuck in, uh, since since this is a casual fun chat and we're cyclists, you've got to get some coffee. So, we'll do the virtual coffee shop stop um, because... <laughs> The podcast is still growing and funds don't permit me driving around the country yet. So imagine we've just like been out for a spin on the on the cross-country bikes or something. Or oh, it's off-season, maybe the trail bikes, who knows. But um, we just stopped for a brew. Like, what's your drink and what's your food order? What are you fancying? Oh, if I'm if I'm halfway through a reasonable amount of riding um, and I've got a bit to go, probably going to be an Americano. Okay. Um, brownies, usually the choice that usually sends, sends me... Uh, a bit loopy on the bike so if I've, <laughs> if I've got some Strava segments in mind that I want to get on the way home then yeah it'll be an Americano and a and a the biggest lump of brownie I can spot. <laughs> nice that's that's a good shout brownie I think if we've got a good chunk to go depends on the intensity you said about getting some Strava segments so maybe I'll maybe I'll go for an Americano as well I do like an Americano um then I don't know I'm not I'm not a huge brownie man unless they're like proper fresh and warm like um and with phil i went for the millionaire shortbread so maybe i should mix that maybe it's like a cut some kind of cookie you know like it's a bit of a classic isn't it chocolate chip not the double chocolate just just chocolate chip <laughs> not gonna be not gonna be dunking it oh no mate i'm not a dunker i don't dunk anything <laughs> biscuits stay like dry in my house well no my wife dunks how about you are you a dunker or not not when it comes to cookies biscuits yes um oh. you can always try try new things dunk dunk a brownie but to be honest, those sort of things you tend to do once, don't you? And yeah. Stick to the biscuits. I used to work with a South African lady who dunked her sandwiches in tea. It was it was disgusting. Like anything. <laughs> it was like it wasn't even like peanut butter, not that makes a difference. Even like just cheese and ham sandwiches going in a cup of tea. It was vile. But um yeah, anyway, we digress. Yeah, it says a lot about person. Cool. <laughs> 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 oh, so we've got our virtual beverages and food. Uh, we'll get we'll get stuck into getting to know a bit about yourself. So you said you ride for a race team, but Let's rewind a bit. How did you even get into bikes in the first place? Bikes started for me with bikes with a lot smaller wheels. Um, I was into BMX from probably early teens. Um, as soon as I could afford one, I managed to get, you know, a couple of people in the village that I used to live in to get them as well. And we used to just go and build little dirt jumps or little ramps from pallets Um probably just generally annoy the neighbours and people from the village digging up banks at the side of the road and getting in the way. Um, yeah, and then literally BMX for years after that, right up until after uni, I went, um, lived in Australia for a bit and bought a BMX out there. And I think it was only when I came back from that point, um, which would have been 2013, that I sold my BMX in Australia, came back and I haven't actually had one since. Oh, okay. So I've 
yeah um and i keep saying i'm going to get another one and i haven't done yet kind of kind of worried that even though i'm the same height i was then and that's six three i think um yeah i you know i've got on fine with it then but i think i'd get on it now having been riding much bigger bikes for so long and find it like a kid's bike so (laughs) which is what people tend to call them anyway uh not that that matters they're great bikes and that's kind of i've got bmx's to thank for sort of getting me into riding to the point i am um i guess when i got back from australia it was straight into mountain biking after that which i always loved as well um had a mate that raced a little bit and he suggested i came along and yeah it was entering like open little you know nothing really particularly competitive just having a bit of fun and racing with my mate um and it kind of went from there we got a bit more sis <laughs> that's really cool um so with the BMX, there was never any talk of racing. It was all just like just messing about on jumps and things and doing tricks. Or was there like any racing? Yeah, no, yeah, BMX. I never raced BMX. It was always street and park and a bit of sort of dirt jumps as well. Um, I, you know, take my bike on a four cross track and and race mates down, but never yeah. to the point of actual official races. Never done one in my life actually a four cross race, um, but. You know, at uni, probably almost every night I'd be out till early hours of the morning on the BMX, um, finding ledges to jump off and grind on and stair sets to 360 down and just silly stuff like that, really, with wow. no brakes. That's, 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 that's crazy. <laughs> I never, I've never touched BMX. Really. I've had the odd play, you know, on like a mate's one on a skate park, but I've never, never ridden one properly or owned one. Um, I guess the big question is, can you or could you do a backflip? That's what everyone wants to know. Uh, I used to onto what they call a resi ramp. Yeah, flexi um, ramp thing. Yeah, uh, but never, never really was that interested in backflips. Was, because I was used to ride street more than park. It was looking for rails and stair sets and mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was backflips pretty cool everyone it's one of those things that everyone wants to say that they can do actually yeah. i learned to backflip standing um so that was my backflip i, I could use to, to standing backflip and jesus i suppose once you can do it on the ground i suppose you can just say oh, i can do it standing instead of on a bike so wow. yeah that's really impressive i can't do any kind of backflips so that's <laughs> that's pretty rad i guess that's it, like a bit of a precursor that you've got a lot of explosive power which is handy for racing if you can do a standing backflip yeah, yeah, and actually BMX is all about explosive stuff. I used to be able to bunny hop the height of, that my bars were. Um, wow. And with BMXs, you tend to have pretty high bars. Mm. Um, yeah, so that is a lot of explosive power to it. Um, pumping up and down half pipes as well. Um, and just pedaling, because you tend to have a silly gear on them. So you pedal like six or seven pedal strokes at once free wheel for a bit and then seven more free wheel for a bit and you've only got one gear so if you're going up a steep hill you've got to really put the power down and yeah that's where i guess it all came from it's interesting um, because bill pierce was in our last episode he was saying about how trials now it's all very power related but i uh, maybe just naivety but to me you'd think say if you played on bmx as a kid maybe you'd go to the track or something where it's more about that power and that sprinting it, like yeah it's a little bit more stretched out isn't it 
it is but then the track for me it's just not got it's quite when when i started mountain biking it was all about exploring and going out into the hills mm. and getting dirty and and it's you know a bit sliding around in the mud there's something to a lot to be said for that the track the riding a velodrome although i feel like maybe it might suit or it might have done back then my power but it it wasn't as interesting for me um and i just wanted to start getting out on a mountain bike and getting up a mountain and riding back down again as fast as i could yeah no, um, that, that's that's really cool <laughs> so you picked up racing like how do you well, I, I don't know. I guess you started getting some results. Did you in the start taking it more serious? Like, how did things like progress? Yeah, I never really remember what my results were like. Um, it was more about beating my friend. <laughs> um, so Greg, who I've still raced with to the day now, um, it was just not to the point where we, you know, had any reason to beat each other. But it was that's who you compared yourself against. It wasn't so much about everyone else back then. It was about just racing with your mate and being shoulders shoulder and going into a race not knowing which one of you is going to win he used to yeah. love that um and yeah miss those days to be honest <laughs> <laughs> simple simple racing no pressure on you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we should probably say that this is this is almost like your ex exclusive pre-elite interview isn't it i guess unless you've been talking to lots of other people yeah no not i have only told it like family and a couple of mates that i've been offered an elite license for next year um and it's something i've wanted for a while partly because an expert you're around the country trying to build up a load of points so that you can get into elite mm -hmm. um if that is your goal uh, and to do that you've literally got to get as many points as you can you've got to be in the top five or so people in the country in the expert and that does unfortunately mean you've got to go to all the nationals. You've got to go to the national champs. And I was like, it's in Scotland three times. I think that's where I met you, wasn't it? In Scotland. Yeah. And you, yeah, like, and then Cornwall and then, you know, you're everywhere, all over the country. Um, so there's a lot of driving around. And once you're in elite, you, unless you're then aiming to be at the top of elite, which right now I'm not, um, mm. I, I want to be racing with the top, you know, 50 in the country, but, I've got no intention of get, taking it further than that at the moment. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it'd be nice to not have to points chase and race every weekend next year, next year, which also means you can set a nice training block up and target less races, you know, four or five races in the year to try and do really well at rather than trying to taper every weekend. And that just never works. <laughs> no, well, I guess that's, that's a good point. Are you going to, so current training like what's are you gonna, obviously you've said about you'll be racing less but are you, what, are you going to adapt your training at all now that you've stepped up or keep doing what you're doing um i mean every year i i know what i i need to add a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that into my training um and one thing is you know like your core strength and and actual ex explosive power stuff i don't do enough of it i've started doing more and more of it but I think a lot of us are um, guilty of it. You know, you just want to ride your bike yeah. um, and get in, in the gym. I don't go to any gyms. I don't like gyms, but, but doing sort of body weight stuff on the floor, it's, you feel great after it, but just finding the motivation to do it is just not quite the same as getting out on the bike on a nice sunny morning. Is it? No, definitely. So, 
it's almost like the equivalent of washing your bike after a ride, isn't it? It's just zero yeah. motivation to do it. <laughs> you just want to go ride it. Yeah, yeah. And then super chuffed with how it looks afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so um are you are you coach then for your, your bike training? Like obviously you've got no gym coach, but I'm not anymore. I used to be. Tom Bell used to coach me. Um oh, yeah. he did a couple of seasons, um, which was really good. Um learned so much with him and it made planning the winter blocks so much easier you know I'd be able to come home from work and just jump on the turbo and the session would be there I, I'd, I'd know what was coming yep. don't have to think about any of it um, and it was it taught me an awful lot uh, and then after a couple of years I just thought that I could probably use what I'd learned um, combine it with a bit more feel of what i want to do um save a little bit of money as well and spend it elsewhere yeah uh, and yeah i think it kind of worked well doing it that way um getting coached is i uh, recommend it to everyone um and then using what you what you've learned is the key i think and then yeah. taking it from there massively i think yeah you've you've hit the nail on the head there because a lot of people say having a coach is almost like going to uni and doing a degree like you should stay with them for as long as you're still learning. And then once you stop learning, you even need to find a new one or fly solo for a bit. And and who knows? Um, yeah. But no, that's, um, I guess as well, what you touched on with the, the whole time saving thing, that's a big selling point for a coach, isn't it? It's uh, being able to, you just clock up, you rock up to the turbo and the session's good to go. You haven't got to have a think of what you want to do, et cetera. And, yeah, it does it's save much- time. It's, it's kind of motivating as well. Um, you, sometimes don't want to let your coach down and miss a session yeah you can do it a lot easier yourself yeah. uh, you know you, you're only you, know, you don't have to tell anyone if you've missed a session <laughs> um, but tom would always know if i hadn't done one <laughs> um, and you know there's always a good reason for it and but um yeah it's nice to be able to to not everyone else have anyone worrying about or, or thinking about what you're doing but at the same time it was really good to make sure i was pretty much on the bike whenever i was meant to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i guess um speaking of being on the bike when you're meant to be you've done some um slightly unusual things over the years as well so I've, i'm a i've done my research you know i'm like a legitimate interviewer now <laughs> i look basically look at your instagram you like do you do like 24 hours solo and like some kind of gravel race in africa yeah yeah, so you're right. Unusual is kind of the way for me. I don't, it probably started with back in the BMX days when I was at uni. I, I cycled home from uni once. I went to uni in Southampton and home was 120 miles away. Yeah. And it was always challenging myself as, as something I've always fancied, you know, doing every now and then, just pushing the body a bit and, um, but also saving some money and getting home without paying the train fare. So <laughs> I, I one day, packed up this was before the days of well to be honest there probably was enough there was um maps on your phone but you didn't have enough battery to use it all the way home when you're riding on a bmx for 120 miles which was uh, 12 hours i think it was um yeah (laughs) 10 miles an hour (laughs) um it's always been a thing of mine to to challenge myself uh and the 24 hour ride I did a few weeks back was was one of those I hadn't done it for a little while you have to try and find the the limit of what you can do mm-hmm. um and 
a lot of people ask me what 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 was that for why why did you do that don't really have an answer even to the day (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I I set myself a target of a of a certain number of miles and managed to beat it by one mile so uh, that was kind of a bit of experience knowing what what you think you can do and um dedicating your (laughs) dedicating your 24 hours of your bank holiday august to just being a bit stupid (laughs) that yeah that's that's insane i mean i'm i'm equally impressed by both but almost more impressed by the bmx because i'm assuming you didn't have like a really long seat post or anything so you could sit down and things no no one gear i did put a brake on for it because i I used to ride brake just bmx but to ride down main roads down pretty big hills with a 65 litre rucksack on your back um, would have been a bit stupid without a brake so yeah i put a brake on (laughs) but the the uh, 24 hour ride was i'd say yeah fair bit harder than the the 12 hours on the bmx it, i didn't really think much of it it was my heart my hands that hurt the most because oh, okay. you stood up the whole time and my hands were green the next day with bruises on my palms oh. from leaning the bike yeah yeah. because like you say you can't pedal sat down so all your weight is on your hands the whole time oh yeah um, that sounds pretty that sounds pretty horrible <laughs> yeah pretty much um you did mention kenya as well i have to talk about that because what a place what a race it is if anyone hasn't i hadn't been to africa at all up till that point and what better way to go and see the country um four days of racing in in the masamara um right through the national park with not quite often no one around you so you've got wildebeest running across the track in front of you you've got giraffes and zebras everywhere um it is absolutely unreal um so uh, it's called the migration gravel race they've i think their their entries open in in january and i'm very close to entering it again whether whether you do the same thing again or find something else it's always one of those isn't it but yeah yeah that was incredible that's yeah, just that does sound really. I didn't even really think of the wildlife, but that's yeah, that's that's nuts. I guess like obviously there's lions and stuff, which isn't so great, but um, <laughs> yeah. One night we were in the camp and you could literally hear a lion. It can't have been much more than a hundred meters away from us. We had we had uh, all the Maasai um, people looking after us in the camps, um, and they would be patrolling around to make sure no animals got too close. But we did hear some animals in the night and everyone heard it. We were talking about it on the start line the next day. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, what what an insane experience. And Kenyans are just amazing people, super friendly, so genuine. Um, and their, their athletes out there are so quick um, and just, just finally starting to um enter the world of international racing and showing what they can do and yeah that yeah you look at people like the the running community in kenya and you think you know there's the main reason they're not in the cycling world is partly the cost of bikes but just traveling around the world is just it's expensive and but the idea was to bring athletes from all around the world to kenya to race against them and yeah it's great to be a part of it that's yeah that's it's a great idea like you say to give them the exposure to international athletes and things how did how did you get on in the race did it go well or yeah i actually did 
I was a I was kind of consistent. So it was a gravel race, um, but I'd heard that it was pretty rough. I didn't have a gravel bike. I raced cross country, so I thought, well, I'm just going to use the bike that I know, and I <laughs> and I know it's a fast bike. It's not going to be an awful lot heavier than gravel bikes. It's going to have a disadvantage in the flat stretches, but I'm so glad I took it because it was a super rocky um, race. Loads of people punctures left, right, and centre every day. Wow. I had one puncture over the whole 650 kilometres, um, and you know I was finishing the day out of energy, exhausted, but not completely battered like everyone else had been wow. on gravel bike. So there were, I'd say, 80% people were on gravel bikes. Um, I because I finished without only one puncture and no mechanicals, that helped with my um general classification at the end and out of the 100 people uh i think i finished 13th and um Incredible. most of those people ahead of me were kenyans they were just uh well lachlan morton obviously not kenyan he finished ahead and uh matthew demarkey a couple of names from you know the the big names in the world of cycling um, but everyone else pretty much was was local kenyan just beasts and yeah <laughs> impressive to see them racing wow that's yeah it's it's interesting isn't it like such an untapped market like you say it's going to keep growing hopefully as as um, resources mm. and whatnot become available but it sounds like an incredible yeah. experience do you think you ever do any or have you done any mountain bike stage races along the way as well uh not actually not done a mountain bike stage race i really want to um I can't choose which one yet. Um, yeah. A lot of them, the big high profile ones are crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're silly money to be honest. Uh, but I do want to get into some stage racing because I like the format of it. I like the back to back days. I like it being more about reliability and consistency and endurance. Uh, you know, I race cross country, which is a 90 minute race. Um, <laughs> I, do feel that i have a little bit of more of an advantage when it's a bit longer yeah. and it comes down to a bit of planning as well it's, you know you you've got to really get all the planning down to a t for a stage race and, and big days out you know all your nutrition and stuff and a 90 minutes cross-country race can quite often be you know eat well in the morning and just smash it for 90 minutes just hang on yeah i'm surprised yeah. you like thought about a marathon at all or not yeah, I have. I did the British Champs last year, actually, okay. in Kilda, um, and really enjoyed it. Actually, uh, six hours. You know, you're not you're not full gas like you are in ninety in a ninety minute cross country race, but in a in a marathon, you tend to just be ten ten percent below that. Yeah, and to hold that for a long period of time is just all about your fueling and um, and being able to just dig in for a long period, but. Yeah, I, I love marathons because it takes you back to the real kind of, for me, mountain biking is going out and being in the middle of nowhere and properly mountain biking. Yeah. You know, cross-country course is quite often laps of a man-made circuit, isn't it? So I think maybe that might be the way I end up going. <laughs> well, that's, Talking... that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, because I think if you've got a longer race, you can obviously just have bigger laps, can't you? You may still do six laps, but if each lap is like 30k instead of 10, then it's obviously going to be a much longer race, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, that's, that's cool. I've, I've personally never done anything long. Um, I've never ridden over 100 miles. Um, yeah, I've never done... I've only done cross-country, like, 
Olympic distance. Never does really it, long does it interest you? Yeah, no. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like, I can't imagine racing for that long yet because <laughs> I've not even done ridden that long, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I well, did like a half Ironman earlier this year. I didn't do it. I, I got an injury on the run, which was annoying. But on the bike, I was just there. Um, this is only... It's not that far. I think it's about 80-odd K on the bike. But I just remember thinking, like, oh, a bit bored. Obviously, you're staring at your hands on a time trial bike, so it's a bit different. But <laughs> it did get a bit boring. But I imagine the marathon is quite good fun because, you, yeah, you're on the trails, you're exploring, you're in a lovely place, and you've still got some technicality and things. You've got to really think about your nutrition and all that. It's a lot of moving parts, like you say. Yeah, you can end up in a much darker place when you get into that kind <laughs> of, you know, 90, 90 minutes. Yeah, you, you are in a lot of pain, especially towards the end. But... It's not the same as, you know, when, when you're doing a marathon, when you, if you get into that five hour mark, you quite often can start losing concentration and mm -hmm. your brain starts shutting down as well as your body. <laughs> it's <laughs> totally different. Um, you should, you need to try it. You need yeah, to maybe. try it. Whether, even if it's not in a race, race situation, you need to go out and just set yourself a goal of a big distance ride and see how you feel. Yeah, I mean, in lockdown, I did like 120k like locally on my gravel bike. That was quite good fun and quite emotional. That was about six hours. <laughs> emotional. Yeah. yeah, it was good. But I did it on like the hottest day of the year as well. So it was just like, I spent like oh, £15 pound on bottled water. It was so much water <laughs> to buy in all the shops. But yeah, it, it was quite good, actually. Maybe I have to do some of that again. And maybe, so I'm going to spend more time on my bike next year. Maybe I'll try and throw in a marathon somewhere. See how it all stacks up with dates and whatnot. Yeah, you, you, yeah definitely recommend it um, and they're usually really well run events really well marked and you yeah. ride some really cool places that's it's got to be a lot a lot to be said for that no that sounds good you you speak about like going to dark places and things what about in your cycling career as it were to date any highs and lows that particularly stand out uh yeah i do think that the cycling in kenya finishing that race um was got to be one of the highest because it is stood for a lot more than just you know about me trying to be better than other people it yeah. it was just such an incredible event to be a part of an amazing area had um my friend that lives out in Nairobi he's the one who invited me and told me to come and do it so I was doing it it wasn't just me and no one else that I knew um my girlfriend came out and she flew out she was at the end of this she was at the finish line um which turns out that her and um my friend's partner um are the only two people i'm pretty sure that um flew out to the finish line to see us come across the line which yeah. is a real special moment yeah. to have that Dedicated. um yeah yeah and just a lot leading up to that race you know it was a very very you know it's an inter international um, event and yeah that's definitely a high um lows there really aren't many and i genuinely cannot think of and, and maybe that's the the sort of the sort of optimist in me but i when i have to really think about it it's i don't know recovering from injuries and trying to um first i had a knee injury Okay. quite a bad one and and for quite a while I couldn't actually pedal a bike um and whether you class that as a as a low in cycling I don't know but but getting back on a bike and being able to 
I couldn't actually pedal a bike. That was kind of like a tough moment. Yeah. And then you then you've got a goal to you're setting a goal after that to to get back to it. That, that's the only real low I can think of because every time I'm on my bike, if I'm honest, you're on a bike. You're you're not at work. Yeah. You're having fun. <laughs> no, that's very true. Still good. <laughs> no, no, yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what I had in mind. What most people, most people say lows are injuries, but. Usually, unless it's something like really bad and serious, it's just a snapshot in time, isn't it? Of say a few months, hopefully, unless it's something far yeah. more serious, then you've got bigger things to worry about. Um, but yeah, no, that's um, that's good. It's been um, a good ride so far, and you can keep on um, keep on going this next season, hopefully. That's uh, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. This this season, I'm I'm not setting too many goals for myself. I just want to finish the season feeling like I'm deserve to be an elite. Yep. Um, and done it justice i've not just got there and then completely relaxed um i want to i do want this winter my plan for this winter is the is the probably the toughest plan i've given myself um or or say the best plan toughest plan is not necessarily the right word you all know that it's not about training hard yeah Uh, but uh yeah so i do want to be finishing next season feeling like i'm in the right category (laughs) that's the goal so you when you say you're doing your own coaching and things are you say making your own training peaks and setting power zones and stuff or are you kind of doing it a bit more day by day like yeah I mean I used to do a lot of power testing when I when I was coached by Tom um and now I kind of I haven't even done a 20 minute test for maybe a year and a half um and I I can I can jump on the turbo and set my Zwift sort of power uh ftp to pretty much what i think it is going to be and i'll and i'll run through a couple of weeks and i'll know if it's very slightly too high or very slightly too low i don't tend to do much testing anymore and the same in training peaks i don't tend to look at too much of of or or tweak things too much i am a massive number and data you know i i I absolutely love numbers (laughs) but um that's more about analyzing things afterwards okay. uh, not so much using it probably because it's not something i'm particularly knowledgeable on moving changing durations and power yeah. um f- in each session of each interval uh i kind of do it a bit more by feel and quite often if a zwift session says i'm going to be doing this this week or tomorrow then if i can do it outside i'll do my best to try and do it outside instead yeah because yeah if it's sunny out i try not to do it on the turbo anymore uh but <laughs> yeah yeah i feel you on that one it's it's hard isn't it because sometimes you want the i don't know maybe maybe quality is the wrong word or convenience of the turbo because even if it is really sunny if you've got to do like i don't know three by ten minutes and you've got to ride 40 minutes from your house to get somewhere with no traffic lights or to the decent trails to do the 10 minute efforts it's kind of like oh why don't i just do it on the turbo but yeah definitely all about getting out and about when we can for sure it's um much more yeah. way, isn't it <laughs> we, we kind of moved somewhere that has got a bit it's a bit more appropriate for training outside I, i'm not going to say that's the reason we moved because beck probably wouldn't appreciate that but <laughs> it, we we've moved somewhere where there's hills on our doorstep uh, and the hill out the back is a uh, six or seven minute hill um at at like a vo2 effort yeah. um and it means that you don't have like traffic lights to get through on your warm-up and yeah. uh, it's not all flat where i used to live it was all very flat and doing vo2 or anything 
punchy for more than a couple of minutes is pretty difficult yeah. without a hill. Um, <laughs> Where are you so, in the world nowadays then? We're in the Cotswolds now. Okay. Uh, nice. Yeah, so there's a good few hills that there are hills that range you know, up to about 10 minutes. Um, any more than that, you need to head further north. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely more than to Wales, I guess. <laughs> yeah, or do it do it on the mountain bike in the mud on the grass on the way yeah. up at the side of the road <laughs> you get a bit longer out of it yeah that was laid down that was laid down <laughs> cool so yeah that was um that's like so that's your career to date as it were so we're getting stuck into the fun stuff now the bit the listeners will want to hear sort of like not quick fire but you know the, <laughs> the strange and weird and wonderful questions so next up is hits and shits so hits are things that you really like about riding and racing say the cycling industry in general you want to see more of and then shits are obviously things you'd like to see a bit less of um, in the industry. You can be really serious and promote some kind of message if you want, or you can just go like, yeah, comedy. <laughs> okay. So hits. In fact, no, let's go with shits because something came straight to my mind and that, and I kind of touched on it earlier. It's the mileage that we're having to do all over the place. Yeah. And I kind of know that there's a reason for it, you know, you, it's cool to go and ride these new places, but it's also to be able to take these races to, to people, to their doorsteps and it's fair to move it around for different venues. But the bloody mileage that we're having to do is a, is a nightmare. Um, and there must be a way of getting, you know, accumulating your points without having to travel to Scotland three times in a year or um, just spending that bloody money on petrol all the time is, is killing me. I, I, I don't know. I know there's probably ways of you know lift sharing a little bit more, but it's not usually logistically uh, efficient to to travel across to your mate, try and get their stuff in your car as well. And but yeah, that that for me is a pain in the ass. Travel the travelling. I don't know a solution for it, <laughs> so I can't can't you know linger on that one for too long because I don't have a fix. But yeah, everyone seems to get pissed off with the amount of mileage that we have to do. Um, so I'll leave that on with you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, like building on building on your shit, not not literally, so that'd be disgusting. But um, <laughs> I I travelled all the way up to Scotland, and then then you went and beat me, so I was, I was devastated, you know. Like, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I wasn't going to mention it. You, you said it, not me. <laughs> that was the only reason I got you on here. It's like a ploy to like get your address out of you somehow, and then I'd like post your shit for your letterbox or something. <laughs> <laughs> well you'll just have to better me better than me uh next year and although you'll be you'll be still you'll be an expert right still yeah yeah so, first year next year, in, so. in national champs we'll still race together so um oh, nice yeah redeem yourself yeah yeah so i'll see you on the master's start line next year and We'll see what happens. <laughs> Hopefully, it won't be in Scotland again. As much as I love Scotland, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Scotland's great. I think it's been announced. It's near Leeds, isn't it? Um, um, yeah, they they were talking about. Um, yeah, they were, but I I don't know where it's confirmed yet. Is it? Oh, I don't know because it's been a rumor. So yeah, yeah. I mean, they've they've said that that's where they want to do it, but um, yeah, I don't know whether that's hundred percent yet or not. But yeah. and either way start line national champs next year oh, round two <laughs> yeah no i think what, what's my shit this week my shit would be i think my shit would be how do i how do i put it into words the the amount of stuff that you get told you need you don't actually need if that makes sense like yeah. 
it's good to have the latest kit and things. And there is a certain element of you you need a certain level of kit that's not going to break and stuff all the time. But I don't know, at the end of the day, it's just bike racing, isn't it? And we overcomplicate it quite a lot. Like you don't necessarily need a power meter and stuff. And is that say four or five hundred pounds you spend on a power meter better off on say hiring a coach, like you said, or like, you know, spending fuel or going to ride in some better places like that that would yeah. be my shit it's just there's always the industry obviously they're trying to make money but there's always something they're trying to push you isn't it <laughs> to try yeah it's getting more and more popular cycling and racing and that's great but obviously the problem is that it gets more and more expensive because these bike companies that are charging 12 grand for a bike yeah. um and you compare that to a 12 grand car and it's bizarre that us idiots still pay it you know <laughs> yeah. um it's it's mental really um but with it's supply and demand i suppose they, if they people are paying it they're going to charge it and yeah. that is a another shitter but um <laughs> yeah so that's one for the world to sort out i guess it's a bit above our pay grade isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i think it is yeah so positive note what's your hit then hits um well are we going down the route like what do i love the most about just being in the scene or it can be anything it can be the scene it can be like oh you really love like how women's racing's growing or it can be like you really love 29 inch wheels or you really love driving to all these races it could be anything <laughs> well i'll i'll take a little bit of a curveball from mountain biking into the gravel world yeah and i'm loving the way that uh, and uh, it's really taken off and I, and for quite a while especially last year i, I was kind of like no never going to do it my mountain bike is more than capable um but i have recently bought a gravel bike i admit it and absolutely loving it to be honest it's it's never going to be whenever it gets rough i it's it's mountain bike all day and you know i still will always prefer being jumping down downhill trails but exploring and getting off the roads gravel bikes are just they are insane for it uh, the bit of space for putting some packs on and just yeah. take back to the simple not caring too much about you know smashing strava segments or um being too competitive about it it's just going back to the roots and exploring covering some ground and not being on the busy roads it's that's yeah they're they're pretty damn cool and i don't think that would have been me a year ago listening to me saying this right now yeah can't imagine it but yeah that's they're definitely really cool um, yeah they're I'm really big yeah i've put road tires on it and genuinely it's it's no slower than my road bike um it's about 350 grams heavier and i'm selling my road bike because yeah i don't need them both anymore that's so it's, awesome. it's a winner <laughs> yeah definitely i guess in the similar vein my hit would be how fun how fun bikes are and how the simplicity of a gravel bike like makes you appreciate things more like i recently bought a um, a cheap hardtail for the winter i say cheap it was still like 800 pounds but you know it's cheap isn't it in the scheme of things just so i wasn't riding my race bike all winter and i could get off-road on the trails more and not be on the road so much yeah. it's just just so much more fun isn't it even like like yesterday it was like raining stuff i went out for a few hours and it was it was grim but it was much nicer to be grinding through the sludge than it was dodging cars on the roads and things. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people. Just getting people off the busy roads is is always going to be a positive. So many accidents happening, and you know they're not from people just crashing their bikes yeah. into a, you know, and falling off. It's cars hitting them and getting off the roads is 
can't really ignore that. That's that's a winner. Definitely. And you're out in nature, isn't it? Fumes and stuff as well for your lungs. So yeah. Yeah, just just the smell of cows and sheep and <laughs> to, yeah. you know, sheep shit flicking in your eye, but basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Gravel bikes. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. Um so uh next question is your your best training session given you right your own training um yeah if i if i ever feel like i've not done enough and i've got like three weeks and i quick do a quick bit of panic training <laughs> i stick as many vo2 max sessions in as um is doable but still recoverable from so they they for me make mountain biking is 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 quite quite about your your vo2 um and yeah sticking two or three of those in in a week's training plan two or three weeks before a race yeah it seems to make such a big difference um whether they're six by three minute block uh six by three minute sessions or or if they're like 30 15s um i'm just a big fan of doing vo2 work and it really does blow the cobwebs off you know, you, you yeah. finish a session absolutely knackered. Um, you've got to have a bit of an easy day after it. But a couple of days later, you'll be flying. And, you know, a few of those, a few weeks before a race, they're, they're the one for me. Would you would you do it on the turbo, on the trails, or on the road? Or, like, where's your favourite place to do them? Well, well, it is one of those, um, which if you've got a hill, you can do it outside as long as you can get back down to the bottom in the recovery period. Yeah. And then, and then smash it back up again. That it does, it can, it can be done outside. And if you don't have a power meter, you can do it to your heart rate. It's not necessarily going to be quite as good as doing it on the turbo with power. But, you know, if the sun's shining, get outside and do it outside because a, a VO2 session outside is still going to be. You know, in the sunshine is still going to be better than a very average session on the turbo inside. Definitely, yeah, yeah, for sure. Although we're not going to get much sunshine for a long time, are we? It's going to be six months, three seasons. Uh, don't know, <laughs> mate. Don't know. Be positive. Yeah, okay. get those nice sun, sunny, crisp, cold mornings. As long as you got the right clothes on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no such thing as bad weather, just wrong clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Nice. Um. So next up, finish the sentence. If I wasn't racing bikes, I'd be dot dot dot. Eating, I suppose. <laughs> I almost said, I almost said drinking, which is wrong, but that's because <laughs> that's because there's a bottle of wine in the corner of my eye. And, <laughs> yeah, um, not that, not that I'm drinking right now, but eating or drinking, definitely not, not binging. Right, point to point out, but yeah, yeah, I'm always, I'm always grazing or eating non-stop. So, <laughs> and that kind of works well, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do you do you have like a nutrition plan, or have you had any advice over the years, or you just do your own thing on nutrition? Yeah, I mean, it's not so much things that I. I well, I, a couple of years ago, I became vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Over a, like a trans transitional period, I started eating less and less meat, more for like the environmental reasons, but then started feeling the health benefits as well. Um, I tend to cook from fresh ingredients as much as I can and um you know but at the same time you know you don't cut things out because you think they're unhealthy you've got to have little you know everything in moderation and yeah. eating cakes and like, my girlfriend's a cake baker for god's sake i eat a lot yeah. of cake and, <laughs> and yeah um 
there's oh. no harm in it whatsoever. It's just about moderation and um, eating fresh stuff, really, whenever you can. I like that. That's good. I mean, people often get caught up in the, the nuances, don't they? It's like if your foundation's good, like you say, if you're eating loads of fresh stuff and then there's a bit of cake on the top, then don't worry about it. But if you just focus on that cake and then you're eating McDonald's the rest of the time, you need to sort out the McDonald's the rest of the time, don't you? <laughs> yeah, damn right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, have a little bit of cake every day. Why not? But as long as there's a little bit, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah. And believe me, I pretty much do. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me go fast to see you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Do damn like, right. Do you have like blended cake in your water bottles when you race or something? Oh, yeah, that's not a bad shout. Although I think liquid cakes, oh, I, don't know, I don't think I've ever tried that, but um, <laughs> ca cakes cakes always at, at hand, put it that way. I like it, pre-workout <laughs> snacks, pre-workout snacks. So on a similar vein, advice to listeners, can be cake-related or not, just to like, it can be fun, it can be performance-focused, just say you're speaking to like your average like cross-country racer like myself, like what advice would you give them to enhance their experience, as it were? um don't listen to too much advice <laughs> as controversial as that sounds yeah, yeah just try and do what you want to do when you want to do it and have fun because the the key the at the start and almost all the way through until you're right at the most pointy end um and to be honest to even some some extent then it, it you think of like Nino Schitter, I'm pretty sure he still loves what he's doing. Um, yeah, so it's all about having fun, isn't it? And not letting all of the advice that you get go to your head because there's too much of it out there. And what do you listen to? Um, yeah. <laughs> knowing what's what's right and what's not, you're better off just going out and having some fun. Exactly. I mean, people will be listening to this and we've just spoke about smashing loads of cake and you race an elite and then <laughs> and be like, oh no, keto, everything and all that. And it's <laughs> not the one person's right and wrong, but it's just so many different ways. You've got to find out what works for you, haven't you? Um, yeah. No, I like that. That's um, that's good. That sound advice. Fun is king at the end of the day. And fun is fast, as Kate Courtney says. <laughs> fun and cake is fast. <laughs> nice. I like it. Um. Finally, then, any particular heroes or inspirations along the way? It can be like mates, or it can be like people you look up to, like Nino and things. Or, um, I, I used to just um, have mates that were good on a BMX, and I used to just go and look up to them. You know, I don't think it was so much back then. I never really used to watch pit cyclists on the TV because yeah. BMX wasn't really on the TV. Um, so it was all just some some guy that had some really nice style on a bmx that you just wanted to wanted to ride like him mm -hmm. um and yeah it's it's the people you know really uh, once you once you um start seeing more and more on telly and if it's a sport or if it's a discipline in cycling that is televised a lot you know it's it's great to look up to people like you know the wiggins the frooms and stuff of the of the pro tours but for me it was all about just my mates that were really really sick on a bmx to be <laughs> honest and they were they were the ones that got me into it and it kind of went from there i never really used to watch much on telly until these days now when the tour de france is on and i'm a mountain biker and i still watch every single tour de france wow. race usually the highlights but and it'll be on the background while i'm meant to be working but <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, that's that's a cool answer. Yeah, like looking more locally for your inspiration. That's good. I like it. 
yeah it's more realistic that way as well i think that that makes a big difference if it's if it's someone on the telly it feels a little bit out of reach maybe but yeah. just seeing your mate do something that's that's cool in front of you is always quite inspiring isn't it yeah i guess if you're all riding together there's always that like friendly one-upmanship you're trying to do to progress yourselves um yeah yeah that's no, that's really cool um last but one of these least are there any like socials you want to plug or shouts you want to give to anyone in particular that's helped you out along the way yeah i mean obviously the the team that i'm with now the rotor guys they've been especially building up this gravel bike i won't go into the details but if they do hear this like the the velotech um and the bicycle rooms uh, velotech services are the guys that supply all the rotor equipment okay. um but then the bicycle rooms in stratford the, the combination of those two sort of guys together um, have created this gravel bike that I'm riding now. And we've been through a fair pain in the ass with it. Um, but they've sorted me out a treat. And um, the support that they give at all the races is, you know, the, the rotor race team is mad compared to anything I've experienced in the past. It's such a decent group of riders as well as support. Um, they're always there with bottles and wheels and things that you fix your bike with and damn good team I've, I've always got the you know team team gb is not in our family it's not great britain it's golden bulls i've always had the nickname golden bulls in my family <laughs> okay. and um yeah they've, they've made signs at the national champs two years ago it's team gb and we got on the british cycling page and with them holding up this team gb post which people just thought it meant team gb but um yeah their, their connection's gone a bit yeah it has gone the gold, bit. golden balls have, have completely screwed with it <laughs> no that's um yeah the band which just can't handle it but no that's great well um thanks again for coming on it's been a pleasure talking to you um i'll link your socials when i put it on instagram and stuff and um yeah Hope you go well next season. Thank you very much, mate. Um, and I'll see you probably before, but at very least on the start line of Masters Champs next year. Massively. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go out for a spin. We'll go out for a spin. <laughs> see you in yeah. a bit. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode of the A-Line Podcast. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe and share with all your mates. Plus follow us on Instagram at the A-Line Podcast for all the latest news and updates on the show. So until next time, keep it fun and keep it fast.